0: You are listening to the Sermon Podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. This morning, we start a new series called "Summer in the Psalms." As no better place to start than Psalm One. I love the Psalms. I believe the Psalms are a way for us to to look at them and to see how uh, people of faith express their emotions, express their doubts, express their fears, express their praises. We also see in the Psalms much wisdom and insight on who God is, who we are, and how we're to live a life as a child of God. I love how one commentator encourages, he says this, and every experience of our own, no matter how deep the pain or how great the frustration or, or exhilarating the joy, we can find Psalms which echo our most innermost being, Psalms which God uses to bring comfort or to confirm release. Psalms are of a Hebrew poetry, and often the Psalms are very raw in what they express before God. This morning, Psalm Psalm One is one of wisdom, but also one of warning. And Psalm One stands as an introduction to the rest of the 449 Psalms. This Psalm this morning presents two ways of living: the way of the r- ricket, ricket, not ricket, haha, wicked, r- <laughs> but the way of the righteous. Are better described the way of the world or the way of the word all of us are faced with a choice so let's see what the psalmist reveals he says this blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the seat of or in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ricket, rick oh, I got that in my mind, the wicket will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, and thank you that you have this psalm, part of your word, for us to look at this morning. And so, God, we pray that your spirits would do a work of grace in our own lives, that we would see the beauty of you even in this psalm as it talks about those who follow you and those who do not. We pray that you would help us desire to follow you because we understand the depths of your love for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to get right to it. I want us to look at, if you're in your notes, the way of the—now I'm going to be confused how saying this word— the way of the unrighteous, I'll do it, solve my problem. <laughs> we're going to look at the way of the righteous, and then we're going to look at the way fulfilled. Let's, let's look at verses 1 and verses 4 through 6 and speak and look at the way of the unrighteous. There are three things that the psalmist wants a person who is blessed to avoid. And blessed here means, in a sense, happiness. But it's not a temporal happiness that the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about an eternal happiness, a happiness that, that God provides us, that he is the only one who will satisfy. We'll talk a little bit about that in a few moments. But for right, if we look at it, like we know a lot of maybe people who do not know Christ who are non-Christians who are happy. We know that a lot of times Christians are not happy in our marriages, we're not happy about our work. So we know that this happiness that that the psalmist is talking about is much deeper than our temporal happiness. But the blessed person is the one who has a long-term eternal goal. But let's look at the unrighteous. He gives us a descriptive warning this morning here about the way of the unrighteous. Verse 1, in fact, portrays three degrees of degeneration, each a little more permanent, settled and embedded into one's life it's a progression of regression i like that i just thought of that a progression of regression look at it there are three degrees of conduct first you see walk stand sit then three degrees of openness or involvement in evil counsel path seat then you see three degrees of evil that results unrighteous sinners scoffers each of these regressions from God's way and progression into sin and the way of the world. It warns us of how a person is prone to turn aside little by little and become more and more estranged in the web of sin. He is easily influenced by the way of the world and its attitudes and actions. So let's look briefly at this verse 1 and these three negative statements. First of all, does not walk in the counsel of the ha ah, on the unrighteous. Sorry, you know your mind just can't get over it. But here we get a sense that he that it's one of mind. The unrighteous are in a sense following along in their mind with those who are against God. Those who are against God in His Word. It's one who has chosen not to, it's one who's chosen to follow this path, right? In his mind, he's, he's, he's put himself in the thinking and the counsel of others. He has a, he's deliberate in thinking the way that they think. So you know the saying, right? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So this, this word has the, the idea, this, the word for unrighteous here has a word to be loose. To be unstable. He's loose in his morals. He's loose in his just his, his regard of God. He's open to what anything anybody would say about God and maybe in a negative way. So, so first it's mental. In his mind he decides okay I'm going to give heed to what people who are against God are talking about. Then we see it says I will not they will not stand. They will stand in the path of sinners. One who is right unrighteous stands in the way or the path of sinners. Here is to be firm. It's from mere walking in their counsel, and one becomes more confirmed in the way of the unrighteous, more involved and influenced. It it connotes movement from the formation of habits and patterns. He's he's journeying now. He's in the way. Now he was in the counsel. He's he's counsel, but now he's in the way. He's, He's on a journey to follow after those who are against God. He begins to act like those who do not know God. He begins to adopt their thinking, and now he begins to act in that way. In fact, it goes from to the unrighteous to sinners. And here, this term sinners for sinners denotes, it's an archery term, which means miss the mark. He falls short of the mark. See, the mark here is the will and plan of God as revealed in Scripture. Sin is a transgression of the law. It is whatever misses the will of God for humanity, doctrinally and morally. All of us fall in that category. We are all sinners. We all miss the mark, right? That's why we come to worship, to be reminded of the salvation that God has brought through Christ. None of us are perfect. None of us will be perfect on this side of heaven. That is why Christ had to come to live a perfect life, to die for our sins, so that we might have his righteousness. But sinners here refers to those who have deliberately chosen a way of life, a path contrary to the plan of God as revealed in the word of God. So you see, it goes from walking in the council to standing in the path of sinners. And now the last degree, it says, sits in the seat of the scornful or sits in the seat of scoffers. Seat is actually saying, I am dwelling here. See, I'm, I'm walking, right? Now I'm in the path. Now I am just going to sit there. I'm going to dwell there. I'm going to join their cause. I'm going to be against God. I'm going to be vocal against God. I'm going to speak against God. The word of God is not at all going to influence me. That, that is the, the progression, right? It goes from thinking to doing to actually being proactive and proclaiming that God is not here, that he is dead. That is the sign of those who are following the way of the righteous. Scoffers, like it says, to mock, to, to, to cry, to ridicule, to scoff. That is what it means. It refers to one who's actively engaging, putting down the things of God in his word. Both actively speaking against God, but also in our lives reflecting that we have want no part of God. It's the idea of not only rejection, but it can happen often in indifference indifference. I think a lot of that affects us in Christianity. We think that we, we have better things to do with our time. Or often we might be substituting our own ideas or other ideas and experiences and emotions and feelings and traditions in place of the word, in place of our fellowship with God. Or, God forbid, by listening to the word proclaim, we then ignore it. In essence, we scoff at the word when we fail to obey it and order our lives accordingly. These verses pose a warning to us. They teach us how, how little by little we can step away from God and into the place of misery and sometimes face severe consequences. The way of the unrighteous. But not only that, we see the destiny of of the unrighteous in verses 4 and 6. What did it say? They are not sowed, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore they will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What do we learn from the destiny? First of all, they're unstable. They are not so, it says. This is the fourth time it mentions the word for unrighteous. He's getting to the point. They are like chaff. You know what chaff is in the Hebrew? It means seed covering, and the debris separated from the grain or the seed and threshing. So here you go. You have this chaff on the, on the ground, right? And when a wind comes, when a storm comes, what happens? It just blows away. It's, it's the idea of being useless. It's invaluable. It just goes away. It does not stand. It's unstable. Well, see how that is in contrast to one who is, who is firmly planted in the word. It's like chaff. In verse 5, we see they face judgment, that they, they will not be able to stand when the judgment comes. Here, it's referring to when Christ will come again, when Christ will come again to judge the world. And those who, who are unrighteous, those who have not have repented. Those who have not put their faith in God will not be able to stand the test when Jesus comes again. See, only those who have the righteousness of Christ due to their faith in Christ can stand before God's judgment. And God will say, you are welcome into my, into my presence because of the work of Christ. But it's those who do not put their trust in Christ, those who've chose to ignore God, to ignore his plan of salvation, when they face judgment, they will not Be able to stand the test. And then lastly, we see they perish. Their way will perish. What does that refer to? It refers to eternal punishment. It refers to hell. It is real. The psalmist, from Psalm 1, from the very beginning, he's setting the stage. Folks, let me warn you that there is is a major consequence if you follow the way of the world, if you follow the way of the unrighteous. It will lead to your eternal destruction, eternal punishment. See, the way of the unrighteous perish because they have rejected God and his promise of salvation in Jesus Christ. I love it. I love that Psalm 1. Is, it starts here because I think it, you see the heart of the psalmist. You see the heart of God. He does not want anyone to follow the, un, the way of the unrighteous. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but yet he wants to be real here. If you do... If you think God is not who he says he is, you think God is useless, that he's no good, that he has nothing to say to you, then be warned, brothers and sisters. Be warned, friends. There is a way to that. There's a final consequence to that, and it's not good. I don't want us to stand in judgment. If we're in Christ, this is not a way for us to, oh, see, we should judge people who are unrighteous. No, not at all because we can all be in that position apart from the grace of God. It's to remind us that the way of this world, the way and the righteousness leads to a way, a, way that, a consequence that we do not want to experience. This psalmist is reminding us of some sobering news of those who chose, choose to follow the way against God, those who reject God. But he also gives us a better picture of those who, of those who he calls to be in a relationship with him, the way of the righteous. Look at verses two and three. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this, his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and at least does not wither. Blessed is who? Blessed is who? Blessed is He who, who, what? Delights in what? In the word of the Lord. In fact, uh, the order of Hebrew order would be this, but rather in the law of the Lord is his delight. See, God is emphasizing that his word, it's he himself, is the object of our delight. The basic meaning here seems obvious, but let's dig deeper to see exactly what this means. It came from the Arabic word, which means to be mindful of, to be attentive of. It also means to keep and protect. So when someone delights us, when something delights us or someone delights us, you know, think of something that delights you, right? We become preoccupied with it and we tend to protect and guard it, right? If I cherish my wife, I'm going to do all that I can. If I delight in my wife, I'm going to do all that I can to protect her, to move towards her, right? It includes the idea of desire, pleasure, inclination, and satisfaction. There's a sense that we are, the one who delights in the Lord is anchoring himself in God. He's anchoring himself in God. That's what, that's what we're delighting in, the law of the Lord. It's just not the Ten Commandments. Here, the psalmist has in mind all of his scripture. It means all of God's teachings, all of God's instructions. This, this book that we have, the Bible, the Old and New Testament, is, is what we're to delight in. For the, that word contains the very words of God. It tells us who we are and who he is and how we can have a relationship with him. It's a, it's a story of redemption. So we're to delight in that story of redemption and we're to delight in, in, the, in the word of God. It brings meaning, it brings purpose, it brings us satisfaction. One of the reasons scripture is a delight, like honey talks about it in the scriptures, and the honeycomb is because it is from God. It's from the... It's, the very truth of God. It's, it's very, the words of God. They're reliable. They're accurate. They're satisfying. We're to be delighted in the word of the Lord. We're to be anchored in the things of God. And as we are, we see that there are some significant blessings. What does it say in verse 3? He is like a tree planted by streams of water. That yields fruit in its season and at least does not wither. First of all, one of the blessings that we get from delighting in the Word of Lord and anchoring our lives in the Lord is that we're grounded. Right? A tree has deep roots and usually very sturdy, especially compared to the shaft, right? So when when the winds and storms come to a tree that's firmly grounded, it can withstand the storms. It can withstand the adversity. You see, a tree portrays stability and capacity to withstand the storms of life. It's a picture of mental, emotional, and spiritual stability in every kind of situation that we may face. We are grounded. The second blessing that we see is that we're made new, firmly planted by streams of water. Planted in the Hebrew verb actually means to transplant. So not merely plant, and that's, this is important, right? To plant means means to call, to take root, to become firmly established for the purpose of stability, nutrition, growth, and eventually production. But when, when you hear, hear the word transplant, it includes those things, but doesn't it include a lot more? It's taking one out of the environment, and placing them into another, which is more conductive to production, growth, and stability. Think of it this way. It's like taking a tree growing in the desert like conditions and carefully transplanting them in a rich prepared soil by streams of water. Right? He's transplanting us. He's making us new. He's taking it from one place and, and putting us on a place where, where we can actually grow and flourish right? We were once dead in our sin. We needed to be transplanted. And God in his grace has transplanted us into Jesus Christ. He's taken us from from the realm of Satan's domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son, which we talked about in Colossians. And with this new position also comes a new provision and new resources of life, the Holy Spirit both of which are likened to streams of living water. We are grounded, we are we are we are rooted, we are made new, but also we grow. Right? which yields its fruit in its seasons. Like, as we delight in the word, as we plant, as, as, as God does his work, as we are delighting in the word, as we, as we are made new, then we begin to bear fruit. We begin to exhibit the characteristics of Jesus. We begin to exercise our spiritual gifts in Christian service to the giving of others, to serving of others, of encouraging others, of showing mercy to others, to helping others. And we also are involved in them, witnessing and leading people to know and taste and see that God is good through Christ. That is the fruit that God produces as we delight in his word. And then fourthly, we are blessed by, as we delight in the word, by enduring. It says its leaf will not wither. This is a picture of vitality, of being green, healthy plants in spite of conditions. It's a plant which is planted by streams of waters that has the capacity to endure. Right? Right? As, as we delight ourselves in God, as we anchor ourselves in God in his word, we will endure no matter what comes our way, no matter what we face, financial hard times, a difficult relationship, a hard job, whatever may our serious illness, whatever comes our way as we are planted ourselves, as we, as we delight in the word of God, God will do that work to help us to endure through those times. And then lastly, we prosper. It says, when, Whatever he does, he prospers. Literally, we may translate, In all that he may do, he continually or repeatedly prospers. It means to succeed, to be, to be productive. Again, you got to remember that the psalmist is, is reminding us of eternal perspective. The root means to accomplish satisfactorily what is intended. See, real prosperity results from the work of God in the life of one who meditates on his word, right? Meditates day and night. There's a fervency, there's there's a delight to continue to put God's word before us all throughout our lives each and every day. But what does God really mean by prospering us? Does it mean that he writes us a blank check and says, whatever you want, you can have, Like if I've given a blank check, I want to put $2 million there, right? Is that what he's saying? No. The person of blessing prospers first because he always seeks to operate in the framework of God's will according to God's values and purposes. As one who delights and meditates in the word of God, we see that he is consulted by in Scripture. He's influenced by Scripture. Instead of sitting in the council of the unrighteous, he's sitting in the council of the righteous. And he's learning the ways of the righteous one. And that begins to influence him, it begins to empower him, it continues to direct him. Again, that does, that does not mean that adversity does not come our way. Being prosperous does not mean that we will not suffer. Being prosperous doesn't mean that we won't face difficult times in our life. God often engineers failures as mirrors of reproof and instruments of growth. Sometimes God has has to engineer failures and pressures before before he can do that work of grace in our lives. And sometimes God allows suffering for other reasons as he did with Job. See, this prosperity is not a physical wealth or health prosperity, but it's one of spiritual vitality. It's one of grace to help us grow in our relationship with the Lord. See, one who is firmly, one who is delighting in the word, who is anchored in God, who, who, who knows that his every step needs to be directed by his God through his word, because we know this, this word is, is a story of redemption that he invites us to be involved in. We who delight in that, will be, we will not be left alone. We will not be disappointed because he will renew us. He will grow us. He will endure us. He will help us be prosper in the things of God. Even as I read this psalm, there's a great song that we we would sing it. I remember in university we would sing a lot and I'm not going to sing it for you. But even as I as I think of but he who delights in the word of the Lord meditates day and night. I need to confess I don't often do that. And as I look at this passage, I, I wonder what's gone on, right? What is there something else we need to know about this passage that will help us desire to delight in God's word? How is this way fulfilled? In verse 6, it says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Who are the way of the righteous? And where does that righteousness come from? Like we said, like we're all sinners. We all cannot save ourselves. We are incomplete. We are dead in our sins, Scripture talks about. What, how do we get that righteousness? Whose righteousness do we have? It's a righteousness of Christ. It's pointing us to Jesus. The Lord knows the righteous because he, those he knows he has put in a right relationship with them through faith in Christ. And now you have the righteousness of Christ that dwells in you by faith. Then that then is the catalyst for us then to understand this psalm. Literally speaking, there is really only one who thoroughly fulfills Psalm 1, whose delight is fully in the Lord, who never walked in the counsel of the of the unrighteous, who always all his works prosper, who in he and himself? What does he say in John 14? I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, all of Scripture is fulfilled in Jesus. The Psalms often point us to Jesus. And this is encouraging because as we look at Psalm 1, then then as we look at ourselves, and then we look back and forth a few more times, we begin to wonder whether we can consider ourselves among the congregation of the righteous. But if we look to Jesus in faith as the one who fulfilled Psalm 1 for us, then in him we have the full assurances of the benefits mentioned in this Psalm. That is good news for us. It drives us to want to know this God who loves us so, who would put us in this right relationship where all we want to do is to grow in understanding what is the way of the Lord because the Lord Himself has been our way to enter into a forever relationship. With him. Friends, we have a choice. Psalm 1 gives us that choice. Are you following the way of the world? Or are you following the way of the Word, who is Jesus Himself? Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we are thankful for your word. Father, we thankful that you have set the stage for us, that, Father, you have shown us mercy and grace in the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus himself. Father, we know that our delight of the word comes from you we know that our growth comes from you. We know that we cannot grow apart from you. And Father, we know that because you have come to us and you have convicted us and you have changed us in Christ. For those who have put their faith in Christ, we have union with Christ. We have this possibility as we, as we delight and as we are anchored in the word of God to make an impact in the lives of others to bear fruit. Father, help us to enjoy what you've given us. Help us to, to want to delight in the word, not as a religious exercise, but as a, as a way of showing our love for you because of how much we have loved, been loved by you. Help us to want to delight in you because you showed how much you delighted in us and sent in your very own son to put us in a right relationship with you. And Father, I pray that those things that we're influenced by the world, all of us are influenced by the things of this world. We even, in Sunday school classes, we were talking about marriage and the purpose of marriage and the essence of marriage, how often that has been, that how the, the ways of the world have influenced even us in the church. But Father, help us to know that as we run to your word, as we, as we find delight in your word, that you will help us in those times where we need a course direction. Help us to desire that course direction. Help us not to be indifferent. Help us not to ignore your word. Help us by your grace to be excited about you in the word that you've given us. Do that work of grace, I pray. And now, Father, as we pray the Lord's Prayer together, help us to be mindful of what our Savior is about. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let us stand and sing how firm a foundation is.